The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us again on Winning Ponies. I think we brought you another good show. Got some hot guests for you if you're spending a cold night somewhere. Our uh, guest handicapper will be... Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. I'm sure you're familiar with him. Uh, Matt, uh, fresh off a victory in the celebrity portion of the National Handicapping Contest. Of course, being an employee of the Daily Racing Forum, he's not eligible for the big one, though before he worked for the Forum, uh, he did qualify for the National Handicapping Championship. Of course, uh, that event took place last weekend. We'll be talking about that and the new King of the Cappers out in Vegas. Now, uh, a lot of big races. It was hard to pare it down for Matt and I to look at tonight. Uh, Of course, we're going to go with the grade one half a million dollar Don Handicap and what a group this has brought together and uh, chances are the the winner of this race may well find himself running for 10 million next time over in Maydan and then also the Gulfstream Park Turf Handicap it's a grade one worth 350,000 then we're going to go out on the West Coast. Uh, we've got the San Antonio. It's a half a million dollar grade two. And then we're looking at the three-year-olds winding up for derby points. And it will be the Robert B. Lewis. And I'd be very interested in seeing who Matt Bernier likes in there. So those are the races we're going to look at uh, in the second portion of the show. And the... the uh, First portion, after we talk about the national news of the week, I've got Doug Brader. That's right, Kate and Brader last week and her husband Doug this week. Now, Doug is uh, currently one of the hottest jockey agents in the country. Uh, he has uh, Florent Giroux, the Frenchman. So we're going to find out uh, how he got uh, connected with uh, Flo, as uh, some people call him, and kind of what Doug's style is, his experience in racing is absolutely unbelievable. He's done everything from coast to coast. He's been the racing secretary at Gulfstream Park, Churchill Downs, Ellis Park, Turf Paradise, Prairie Meadows. Uh, he's been an assistant at tracks all over the country, stakes coordinator, been involved in Breeders' Cup. So Doug Brader will be our first guest out of the gate. Well, I uh, hope you had a good weekend. Uh, I want to thank Kate and Brader for coming on. She gave us some solid horses to watch down at Gulfstream that came home winners. And hope you pulled down easy win forms from winningponies.com because we gave out some nice winners pretty much all over the place. Out at Turf Paradise, how about this? A $1 super key paid over $12,000. And then at Sam Houston, 
On the 29th, we had a 50-cent try that paid $7,395. Let's uh, go to the middle portion of the country. Uh, as you know, Charlestown uh, had to change some of their dates because of the weather, so they raced today, and I hope you pulled down your easy win for them because we pulled down a $1 super key worth 2996 And then on the East Coast at Aqueduct on the 29th, a $1 pick 5 $7,184. Go to the website because we will show you all of the recent biggins races that we've pulled down like the ones I just told you about. Well, uh, it was a big week out in Vegas, and we do have a new national handicapping champion that uh, seems to have been uh, you know, kind of bred for the game. His whole uh, family was out there. His name was Paul Maddies. He's a veteran handicapper, took home the $800,000 first prize, and he gets Horse Player of the Year, so he will get an Eclipse Award next January. Now, he's from Boston Spa, New York. There were 629 entries uh, going for the top prize. Of course, uh, Jonathan Kinchin that we had on the show last week, he was going for a $2 million bonus, and uh, the runner-up, for the second time, he did it in 2013, was Roger Satina. That's got to be a tough beatdown. Uh, back to Paul Maddies. He's 46 years old. Uh, his winning score was $399.50. Roger Satina, $389. Uh, we uh, want to thank uh, Jonathan Kenshin for being on, but even though he had two entries going in, he didn't quite get there. Uh, Maddie's, as it turns out, he's a frequent uh, national handicapping qualifier. He's uh, the older uh, brother of the Maddie's brothers. His brother qualified, too, and uh, took down uh, some nice prizes, his brother, Duke. And uh, so hopefully we can get him on the show, find out what his uh, handicapping angles are, and uh, congratulate him and maybe pick some winners for you. Uh, now, Matt Bernier that we're going to have on later in the show, he took home the Charity Challenge crown uh, with a mythical bankroll of 54.30, and he just beat out our friend Tom Lamara. You know, probably those two have been two of the most popular handicappers on Winning Ponies since we've been doing the show. So uh, congratulations to Tom for running up. But uh, Matt Bernier uh, was able to give $5,000 to the nonprofit charity of his choice. And uh, the, the people that are going to be getting there are the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance and our good friends at Old Friends, who sad to say you had the barn fire last week. Luckily, nobody, either person or horse, was hurt. But they're both going to get $5,000 compliments of Matt Bernier. We'll be talking about that later in the show. Let's take a look at some more uh, national news. Uh, we've got some late-breaking news uh, coming out of Maydan. Frosted making his four-year-old debut. Now, this just happened hours ago. Uh, won the $250,000 Al Maktoum Challenge just hours ago. Uh, he hadn't raced since finishing seventh in the Breeders' Cup Classic at Keeneland. Settled in and pretty much uh, blew him away. Uh, they say that his winning effort on the fast track set a new track record by more than a second. Of course, you remember in the Belmont Stakes, Frosted 
finished second to Horse of the Year, American Pharaoh. So he took that one down. And then more late-breaking news. I got this uh, from uh, Marcus Hirsch from the DRF over at Maidan. And McLaughlin, Karen McLaughlin, who trains Frosted, uh, also took home the grade three fire break and almost got an exacta uh, when a watershed just missed getting second. And uh, the highly regarded Mudahij, if I'm saying that's right, um, disappointed. And so what a day for Karen McLaughlin. And you got to remember, Karen McLaughlin used to train for Godolphin over in Dubai. So he's certainly no stranger to the racing program over there. So it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen down the road. Now, while talking about Dubai, how about our boy California Chrome worked a half a mile in 48 seconds at Maidan Race Course. That was on Sunday. That was his first workout since arriving there on January 22nd. Of course, he's got some familiar faces around him. His regular exercise rider, Dighi Gladney, uh, galloped out six furlongs and 113. And Alan Sherman, the assistant to Art Sherman, said he did it like a beast. <laughs> so he's really training good. Now, uh, obviously, part of his plan is they want to uh, enhance his value as a sire. And what we found out this week was, you know, Taylor Made Farm is now partners with Perry Martin on the horse. Well, they agreed to give up 10% of their stake in California Chrome and offered 10 breeders the opportunity to purchase a 2% share of California Chrome. So this is going to kind of guarantee that he's going to get some pretty good mares to him uh, when he first gets out of the box. Now, out of the box fast last week, jockey Joel Rosario, uh, he pulled down the top spot as the jockey's guild jockey of the meat. It's a busy day, a successful Saturday for Joel when he won two graded stakes races on the Gulf Stream card and then went out west, took a flight to Houston, and won his third graded event at Sam Houston Race Park. So congratulations to Joel. And also, uh, Florent Giraud, we're going to be talking about him later in the show. Uh, he had a two-stakes win night over at Sam Houston, his first appearance there turning out to be a very good one. So uh, he uh, will uh, take the lead there in that uh, group that Penn Gaming puts together throughout the season. Sad to say we did uh, lose a jockey this week. Uh, Jill Jellison, only 51, lost her battle to breast cancer. You know, she turned out to be a really good rider on the East Coast. Uh, she won the 1989 riding title at Rockingham Park. And uh, I believe at the end of her career, she was uh, considered the sixth leading woman rider ever. Her horses earned over $13 million. So, Jill Jellison, sorry to see you. You leave us. Now, let's take a quick look at last week's races that uh, we handicapped with Kate and Brader. And uh, the, the big race, of course, the Holy Bull Mo Heyman absolutely blew him away. He was a step slow at the start, but wow, he just tracked, split the leaders under Junior Alvarado, and drew off in a hand ride. I think the most impressive part of his Holy Bull performance was his gallop back. This royal-looking son of Tappet, and he better look royal for $2.2 million, 
didn't look like he could blow out a match. He looked fantastic. He came back as if he had never even raced. Looked just great. So I've got to say that he's going to the top of a lot of people's derby lists. Of course, we haven't seen Nyquist race yet. So Mo Heyman from the Red Hot Barn of Karen McLaughlin, very, very impressive. And the second spot was Greenpoint Crusader, who got some points to get into the Derby, and third was Fellowship. Also then, with Caton's uh, pick, Awesome Banner, got the job done in the Grade 2 Swell. Now, this is a short race, seven furlongs, no Derby points, but you'll often see these horses start to stretch out, maybe point to the Fountain of Youth. So Awesome Banner gets the job done over Economic Model, another horse that Caton alluded to, sent away at 3-1, to one, only making his second start. And the third spot was Richie the Bull. And then the uh, grade two forward gal stakes went to a very impressive filly who now looks like she's pointing to the Kentucky Oaks, and that's Catherine Sophia has been blowing them away. She was off a bit uh, slow. No panic on Mike Smith's part. Off the rail on the turn, one and a hand ride. Remember this name, Conquest no, Catherine Sophia. I'm sorry. <laughs> I moved down a horse. Uh, the favorite was Conquest Babiaga. Uh, Catherine Sophia is going to be one to watch. She's trained by John Service. All right, that's a look at national news, last week's action. Let's take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to the hottest jock agent in the country. That's Doug Brader. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we, we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. Okay, and so glad to introduce you to Doug Brader, certainly a familiar name in racing. Uh, Doug, of course, has done a little bit of everything in the sport. As a matter of fact, he might be the most credentialed jockey agent in the country with over 25 years of experience in almost every aspect of the sport from coast to coast. Like I said earlier, he's been the racing secretary at prestigious tracks like Gulfstream Park, Louisiana Downs, 
Churchill Downs, uh, been an assistant racing secretary. At, uh, he decided to kind of step out of that and uh, get outside, get some fresh air, get up real early in the morning, and uh, be- become a jockey agent. Doug Brader, welcome to Winning Ponies. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, you know, I, I, I did a lot of background on you, and it is quite ex- extensive. But what I don't know is what was your early your earlier years? What was your first exposure uh, to racing? I grew up in Chicago. Uh, my dad used to take me to the races at Arlington Park. We grew up in a suburb right near there in a city called Des Plaines, and I went a couple of times and kind of enjoyed it. Never really thought of it as a career and ended up at the University of Arizona and ended up going through their racetrack program and uh, the rest is history. I thought I'd be working at tracks the rest of my life, but, you know, in management, but uh, ended up trying this and uh, been pretty good at it. It's been a nice little run. You know, when I when I looked at your resume, I, I you know I looked at all the different tracks you worked. I couldn't believe you actually did a stint at Beulah Park. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Mike uh, Michael Weiss is a very dear friend of mine, and uh, we go back a long ways. We actually worked together down in South Florida at Gulfstream and Hialeah one year. So I got to know him, and he was, I believe, first the racing secretary there at Beulah. And then he mm-hmm. eventually took over for, I believe, Dick Wilson and yep. ran the place for a long, long time. But Michael's a dear friend of mine. Um, uh, now, I believe now, of course, uh, Florent Giroux, uh, every, every time I check his stats, he, he's moving up on the <laughs> national scene. I had to update him from 7th to 5th uh, this week for my press release. And uh, uh, I believe there's an actual French connection to your introduction to Florent Giroux. Uh, a little bit. I mean, my my family does have some uh, some French and I believe some German breeding in it. But other than that, um, you know, we met at Gulfstream about five six years ago, and the rest uh, it's been a nice uh, upward uh, trajectory. Well, I guess the connection I was talking to was Patrick Bean Cone, who uh, oh, the guy gosh, that kind yeah. of... absolutely. Uh, Patrick uh, introduced us, and um, he um, he had told me I had told him that. I was looking to try something a little bit different. I had been at the tracks for a long, long time working as a racing secretary and other official duties and uh, just told him I wanted to try something different. And he said, I will uh, look into it. If I find out something, I'll let you know. And a couple of days later, lo and behold, uh, I got a call from him, come by to the barn. I'd like you to meet somebody. And uh, without even really having explained myself to Florent, uh, he basically said, "When do we start?" So, it, uh, well, you know, you know, like I said at the top of the show in this introduction, I said you might be the most credentialed uh, jockey agent in the country. I mean, if somebody gives some thought to what you've done during your career, number one, the varied places that you've worked that have given you exposure to horsemen on every level, uh, tracks all over the country, and then for it to be your job as a stakes coordinator and as a racing secretary to put together races, to, to have to talk to these guys face-to-face, get horses to come there. Obviously, you, you became to know these horsemen on a, a very uh, top level. What a huge edge that's got to be for you as a jockey agent. It does help a lot uh, when you can put a, a face to a person or they've actually had, you've had interactions with them in the past. 
without a doubt. I mean, for a while, I was one of the only people, I believe, in America that had actually worked uh, extensively on the East Coast and extensively on the West Coast. Now, you know, it's not as uncommon as it used to be with Rick Hammer Lee and Mike Lakow and a bunch of people kind of having done what I've done. But uh, for a long time, I, I knew... You know, now, now I, it's actually sad. Now that I'm an agent, there's there's a lot of people that have kind of slipped through the cracks, and I might not even know anymore. But you know, with assistants kind of taking over Barnes and so forth. But for for a long time, it, it's a tremendous advantage to to know to pick up the phone and be able to call a, a Shug McGahee, a Bill Mott, uh, a Neil Drysdale. Uh, I even left a message for Bob Baffert today. So uh, no, it, it helps tremendously. Well, be, be, before we get on to uh, uh, Florin himself, I just want to ask you, you know, jockey agents uh, operate in different manners. Either they, they handle their business in different ways. I, I know one agent that actually finds the races and enters the horse for for this trainer, and he's, he's the leading agent at, at the meet that he's at. I'm not going to drop any names. But that's right. how he runs his business. He actually finds the races, enters them for the trainer. I also know an agent that phones in his mounts for two jockeys that he has from Australia while these jockeys are riding in the Midwest. So he's working off paper and the Internet. Uh, Doug Brader, how would you describe your approach of, of handling your business and your clients? Well, I'll tell you, you learn something new every day on this side of the fence. Uh, I I was really surprised uh, just how a lot of different trainers do handle their business. I mean, some will actually uh, text me, you know, way in advance, you know, their planners. Are you opening these spots? Bada bing, bada boom. Others I'm more or less talking to on a daily basis either on the phone because they're at a training center or at a farm or somewhere else or, you know, at a different track or, you know, hands-on is probably the way. I mean, I get up, we get up early. Uh, that is uh, a major transition from working at tracks. I get up about 435 almost every morning and uh, you know, I walk the barn area. I mean, basically, I, I looked at my phone today. I walked over four miles today. Which wow. that's good. That that keeps me fit. I'm trying to avoid the golf cart thing. But um, so you, you you basically start at one end of the barn area and end up on the other, and you're going to miss a lot of people. I mean, take for instance, I ride a lot of horses for Larry Jones. Larry gets on his own horses. So basically, uh, if I don't catch Larry at the right time in between, you know, a set of horses or getting on and off one. I might miss Larry for a big chunk of time in the morning. So uh, you you got to kind of, you know, allot your time properly and make sure that you see all, all of your clients. And uh, I'm constantly on the lookout for, uh, you know, new horses and new trainers to ride for. So uh, it's it's a learning process. It really is. Every day is different than the other day. Well, I'm sure one of the finesse things that you had to learn in your job and will always struggle with is is being a politician. Uh, it's going to happen. How do you handle the double call in a race where where two trainers that you've been riding for want you on their horse? That's got to be a tough spot. How do you personally handle it? Uh, double calls and when you actually have to tell a person, 
you know what, I, I made a mistake. I actually, you know, I gave you the call, and I have another one now that I need to ride. And tremendously difficult, absolutely. Uh, part of the toughest job, you know, part of our toughest job, because you you really, somebody wants your services, and you can only, the, the jock can only ride one horse in the race. And it, it's just as challenging sometimes with workout times, because, Everyone wants to work on a freshly hero track, and, and there's times when uh, I have to turn down a really, really good client and let them know, you know, I'm sorry, I, I just don't have those times available. Can we work around it? Can I work at a time that's, you know, non-traditional? Can you move the work back a day? So workouts, believe it or not, are just as challenging sometimes as, you know, when you know you're going to have two horses for the same race. Well, it, I guess in one case, it's a good spot to be in. Florent Giraud, t- tell us about, about him. Was there any language barrier problem in the beginning, and uh, how have you seen him develop? He, we've just come a long, long ways, John. He, he was uh, always had a lot of ability and a, and a lot of talent, but sometimes it just didn't come out. He, he's a very, very sharp kid, and I call him a kid, but he's 29. But he is... He is young enough to be my child if I had any children, but Caitlin and I don't. <laughs> but uh, he is just super, super sharp. And I, I saw an incredible amount uh, of just smartness to him right from the beginning. And uh, amazingly, you know, just year by year, his his natural rollability has gotten better and better. I mean, one thing, for instance, is his left-handed whipping. I mean, in the beginning, he might not have been that strong of a, uh, a hitter and just to be able to strike a horse properly and get him to respond. And just in the last year and a half, two years, he has gotten so strong in his upper body. And when he strikes the horse left-handed, you know, without a lot of punishment, they... Uh, they they know they're in a race, and and so many horses respond to the left-handed whip because most most riders are naturally right-handed. So I, I was actually having a conversation with a trainer the other day, and he said that he's noticed a lot of horses they just get so used to being whipped right-handed that they don't even respond to it anymore. And a lot of times you're not even doing it to make them go faster, but you want them to mind their manners and, you know, do things the right way. But the left-handed has just really uh, gotten to be something special on his end, and he, he's just gotten to be a really, really good rider. Well, I know you just took down uh, the Kentucky Downs title at uh, America's most unique track that's all turf. Do you think his prior experience from Europe kind of helped him work that undulating race course? I think it's a combination of a couple factors. Yeah, he he feels very, very comfortable on that track. He uh, He's ridden similar tracks. Uh, you know, overseas, he is not uh, overwhelmed by maybe some of the idiosyncrasies of the track, and uh, he just has a natural sense of pace. He is really, really good at knowing whether or not they're going super fast on the front end or super slow, and he makes he can make adjustments on the fly and. Uh, I've just seen him do some things the last couple of years that uh, I'm in awe of. I really am. I, I have to pinch myself that I 
I'm actually representing this kid. Well, I can see you calling him a kid because I, I've met him in person. I've taken photos of him, and he does look younger than 29, to, to be honest with you. But and he also has that youthful enthusiasm. I mean, after he wins a race, it's you know he, the, the kid just lights the place up. And kudos to you. Not one, but two, but three Breeders' Cup winners over the last two years. Doug, you've done an outstanding job yourself. Thank you so much. Uh, it's. Uh... Like I say, it's, I, a day doesn't go by where I don't learn something. The skill sets that I learned as a racing secretary are, are, are very, very different than the dynamic of being a, an agent. And, and you work on it every day and you try to do the best you can. But I, I think I've definitely helped uh, move him forward. Well, you got the fifth leading money earner jockey in the country. So, yes, I think you've done a little bit of a something to move him forward. And, uh, Doug, I look forward to continuing to watch uh, the career of Florent Giroux. And I want to thank you for taking your time because I know you've got to get up at 4.30 in the morning, and I'm probably keeping you up past your bedtime right now. I'm okay right now, but uh, about another half hour, 45 minutes, uh, I'm sure I'll be calling Kate in Florida and uh, – Wishing her a good night because she's been under the weather. All right, well, best of luck. And my guess is we're probably going to see you on the Derby Trail. I know you've got some hot mounts coming up here uh, at the fairgrounds, and you've been aboard some explosive three-year-olds. So uh, probably next time I see you at Keeneland, I'll come up and give you a a hearty handshake and a congratulations. Sounds great. Yeah, look out for uh, February 20th. It could be a real good day. Okay, I'll tip off our listeners as to who those two horses are because I do know who they are. Thanks a lot. We've been talking with Doug Brader. He is the jockey agent for one of the hottest jocks in the country, Florent Giroux. We're going to take a little bit of a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to one of the hottest handicappers in the country, the Daily Racing Forms, Matt Bernier. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, one of the most popular handicappers on the national racing scene, and that's Matt Bernier, and he's 
coming away with, with a uh, championship of his own. It wasn't $800,000, but uh, he did uh, take home the second annual National Handicapping Championship Charity Challenge, besting another regular on this show, Tom Lamara. Uh, but uh, Matt got it done and uh, got to take the money and turn it around uh, to two charities that uh, I am a big fan of, uh, the uh, Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance and, of course, I'm personal friends with Michael Bowen, and it couldn't have been more timely after their barn fire uh, that Matt split his pot and donated $5,000 to old friends. Matt, how are you doing, my friend? Good, John. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Well, hey, uh, do us a favor. We've been talking a lot about uh, the NHC out in Vegas over the last couple of weeks. Can you kind of descri- describe the vibe out there this year? Yeah, it was a fantastic vibe, and really, I think when we left there that weekend, we left satisfied knowing that a horse player's horse player was the one that walked out, walked away with the, the 800000 Paul Matisse really put on quite a show out there, and Brother Duke did a very good job as well running third, but it's just one of those events. We, we set it on DRF Live on Saturday. Unless you've been there, it's very hard to truly grasp the, the enormity of it and what's on the line, but really good weekend. We had a lot of fun and, and really kind of sets the tone for the rest of the year because now we're diving into the Triple Crown. Yeah, I mean, if ever a guy, uh, you know, not far from your neck of the woods there at Boston Spa, uh, was bred to be a handicapper, I mean, this guy's even got a sire line that says he should know what he's doing. I was going to say, you look at it both sides, from from his grandfather on one side, grandfather on the other side, obviously his father, and then he's got his brother as well, and then his other brother that's a trainer here in New York a little bit, so... It really, just the family through and through is horse players top to bottom. And it's good to see. It's one of those things where we talked about it. It's not someone that just got lucky. And I'm not saying that any of the, the past champions have. But at the end of the day, you know, occasionally things kind of kooky can happen in a contest. This is a guy that we know through and through. Paul knows what he's doing. And, and it's nice to see, you know, a real hardened player emerge victorious. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'm talking to one right now. Now, uh, Matt, uh Obviously, you were discovered by the Daily Racing Forum a couple of years ago with your role in horse players, and that back then you could qualify for the big pot, you know, because you weren't working for the Daily Racing Forum, but uh, they brought you on as, as an employee. Um, how has your uh, role kind of expanded with the Daily Racing Forum? Well, it's just kind of we're taking over as far as doing some DRF Live things. Obviously, Dan Elman and I would do the videos. My beer's back with us, so. The three of us kind of rotate and make the most of what we've got as far as resources and availability is concerned. But you mentioned it. I mean, it was one of those ultimate, you know, you go, you get the job, the, the nice employment, you work for a great company, and at the same time knowing that you're giving up the opportunity to possibly qualify for the biggest event that we have from a contest standpoint. Um, it was, it's a little bittersweet. I'd be lying if I said when we were, we were out there that I wasn't jealous of all the other people playing, but at the same time, I understand my role. And, you know, we just truck on with it. And if there's ever an opportunity I can play, great. And if not, it is what it is. I knew that signing up. And by the way, nobody's going to chase you away from a real betting window. So you still got some opportunities to cash a ticket now on that. And we have everyone say that. They go, you know, ultimately each race is a bit of a contest between amongst ourselves, you know, whether you're playing with your buddies or you're playing with the rest of the mutual pool. Uh, it's a little bit of a contest within a contest, nine, ten times a day at every track. 
Well, I'm going to try to see if we can cover. It was hard to whittle down, you know, the big races uh, th- this week. Uh, we'll try to cover two from Gulfstream and two from Santa Anita. Just want you to chime in on one that, as you know, we kind of kicked out, and that was the loss for Jenny's uh, out at Santa Anita. Uh, came up a little bit of a short field, and let's face it, uh, you got to be awful impressed with the uh, credentials that Songbird, the two-year-old champion, Philly brings into this race. I honestly, I said it as a two-year-old before the Breeders' Cup. I said, I said it afterward and all throughout the three-year-old campaign so far for all the three-year-olds, male or female. I think she's the best that we have. Now, we'll see when she comes back as a three-year-old. But, boy, on paper, from a buyer's speed figure standpoint, she lays over the field. She should be out there. I'd imagine they're not going to get cute and they'll send her right to the front. I would imagine she's going to go out there and win by open lengths. She'll be one to nine, no matter what the morning line of one to five says. And truth be told, I mean, I think she's the most talented three-year-old, male or female, more than Mo Heyman, more than any of the other boys. I just think that she is the real deal, and we'll find out. Maybe she takes a step forward, or or she doesn't, you know, improve. We've seen very often a two-year-old. Especially Phillies. It's not as though they're always guaranteed to move forward or progress as a three year old, but boy, she looks the part and it looks like she's been training well, too. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at uh, the form right now, and certainly what you've got a huge plus is the combination of Jerry Hollendorfer and Mike Smith, two Hall of Famers. Heck, uh, last year when they teamed up 54 times, they won 35% of the time. So that's the race we're going to pass on. Songbird, just want to tell everybody, it's going to be a busy, busy day. If they do go to uh, DRF.com, Jay Hobday wrote uh, a good column this week that kind of breaks down what time you need to be watching what this week, <laughs> because there's so many good races, but he actually lays out the post times of all of the, the really good races on both coasts. And, of course, one, one of the biggest races, and a lot of times it's, uh, you know, testing a three-year-old that's turned four-year-old, is, is the Don Handicap. And uh, it, it goes a mile and an eighth. It's a grade one, half a million on the line. Just briefly, you know, if you look back at how important this race is after 60 one runnings, um, 65, Gunbow won at 74, four go. Cigar won back-to-back, 95 and 96 editions. Uh, then you had a sensational Harlan's Holiday win in 2003, followed by Medaglia Diario the next year, uh, Invasor in 2007. Those are some big names. Winning the Don puts a big ring around you, and of course now with 10 million down the road. Some of these horses might go from here to Maidan. An interesting field. It, uh, I don't know how you looked at this race, Matt, is from a handicapping viewpoint because you've got uh, a lot of horses coming in off layoffs that have some sensational credentials, and then you've got a lot of horses that have already made a pretty solid fresh return. Yeah, it's really a fascinating race for those reasons as well as kind of what you were teeing up a little bit that. You know, a couple of these horses are trying to get to the Dubai World Cup, and, and boy, who knows how tightened up they are. Maybe not necessarily the Dubai World Cup, but planning on going back over to Dubai. You don't know how cranked they are for this spot. So you've got a lot of things to factor in. From a pace standpoint, I will say, I don't think there's a ton signed on. I think you're going to have valid. He'll go, as well as the outside runner financial modeling for Chad Brown. But other than that, I don't think there's a ton of confirmed early speed, and I think it's going to be interesting to see. I'm not sold Valid wants to go two turns at this point in his career. I think he's much better going seven or one-turn mile. Financial modeling, who knows? Maybe he's turned into the real deal, but well, he had everything his own way up here at the inner dirt back in December. I think it's going to set up for, for a horse that should be sitting just off those early pace setters that 
maybe they can make a move going into the far turn. And and of those, I mean, who would it be? I noticed that uh, uh, Johnny V uh, elected to uh, take uh, Mishawash, a horse I always mispronounce, uh, <laughs> for his main man, Todd Pletcher. I mean, this is a horse that comes into the race with six consecutive 100-plus uh, buyers. Uh, but uh, then you've got a horse, when I was looking at this, Matt, I almost fell off my chair, that Keen Ice is eligible for non-winners at three. He's only been favored once in his life when he broke his maiden, and he's closing in on $2 million in earnings. I mean, this horse is an aberration. Yeah, it's really stunning. You mentioned that he's really eligible for non-winners of three lifetime, and he's the only one in 2015 that took the measure of American Pharaoh. Uh, I have to be honest with you. I am stone cold against him at this spot for a couple of reasons. Gulfstream Park, it's usually very difficult to make up a ton of ground from the back of the pack. That's his running style. It's also noted that he's one of the horses prepping for the Dubai World Cup. I can't imagine that he's going to be 100% cranked up and ready to go here. i got to be honest, the way the race looks on paper, I don't know if he's fast enough, and we'll wait and see. I thought his return effort was good. I think it's a knockout is really interesting in here. He's 4-1 to one on the morning line. If he's that price, I'd have to pass on him. I wouldn't want him at anything near that. But I have a sneaky feeling he floats up a little bit into that 6-7-1 or seven to one range. He's yet to run a race fast enough, but this is the kind of horse that Todd Pletcher excels with. For what it's worth, you can go to the RF formulator and find all sorts of good nuggets. But over the past five years, Kurt Route, winner last out, graded stakes at Gulfstream Park. I know it's a mouthful. Pletcher 7 for 13. This is something that he does with these kind of runners. I understand if people want to say he's not fast enough and he can't get the job done. I just think he's ready to take a step forward here. I'm interested in it's a knockout. It's a knockout. Well, he certainly made a nice return. Obviously, something happened after the Kentucky Derby, but that last race came back. He just shaded a hundred buyer, uh, and like you said, Todd Pletcher, he's a man to fear. And right now, he's batting thirty percent uh, down there. So, it's going to be very interesting, Don. Again, some great horses have come out of this race. It'll be an interesting one to watch. Well, um, let's go on the turf right now at Gulfstream Park. We're going a mile and an eighth. I'm, I'm a little bit of a head-scratcher. Help me with this one. You were there at Keeneland for the Breeders' Cup turf. It was kind of a, an odd thing to see a horse almost 20 lengths ahead of the field as they headed into the second turn in this race. That was Shining Copper, who I'm talking about. But as we know, that day he was uh, acting as a rabbit for Big Blue Kitten. Well, the Ramses don't have another horse in here. Is he acting for a rabbit for takeover target? I mean, let's face it, the horse is legit. He's won 424000 on the turf himself. Uh, he's no 5000 claimer that's just going to go to the front. And I just he looks like the lone speed in here. I'm not, I'm not touting him. You certainly have talented horses like the Pizza Man who might be getting a little long in the tooth. Uh, how do you see this race uh, setting up and turning out? Yeah, you mentioned it. Shining Copper's fascinating because there is not another Ramsey horse in here, but there is another Chad Brown runner. I honestly think that they have this horse in here to try and win. And uh, I don't, no disrespect to the horse. He's run some really good races in the past. But let's keep in mind, this, this is a horse that you could have had for 50000 at one point. I think he is what he is. He's a nice runner. He's claimed for 62 way back in May of last year. I think he can go out there and get brave a little bit, but at the end of the day, I don't think he classes up with these. The horse they all have to beat is very clearly the pizza man. He's just an absolute monster. I finally have to give credit where credit's due, and this is a really nice runner, one that I always thought was a little bit of a couple, though, but he's proven himself time and time again. They're going to have to beat him. If there's one horse I think that can do it from a dynamic standpoint, 
and from a race shape standpoint, I think Luke Sally down on the inside, I thought his run in the Fort Lauderdale last time out was really good. I understand he had a dream trip. He's probably not going to draw up anything better than what he had last time. But he lost to a horse called Heart to Heart, who when he gets his, all his own way on the front end, he can beat anyone going between eight and eight and a half or nine furlongs. I think Luke Sally, he's shown in the past he can take a step forward, second time off the bench. Josie Carroll Sharp knows what's going on. I think if you can get eight to one on this horse, I think this is a really intriguing one that if Shining Copper starts to back up, Luke Sally's going to get the jump on a horse like the Pizza Man, and that may be the difference. It's also worth noting the Pizza Man, I'm sure, I know it's a great one, but this probably isn't the overall goal short term for him. Um, I don't think so either, because <clears throat> certainly when, when you look at his resume, mile and a half seems to be his long suit. Uh, and this is a mile and an eighth, his return race. <clears throat> And I th- find it interesting uh, that the Pizza Man's never even started at Gulfstream Park. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too. I mean, Gulfstream is known to be a quirky track, not just on the dirt, but the turf as well. Some horses take to it, and some don't. And I find it really interesting that they're willing to send this horse to South Florida. You mentioned he's never started down there before, especially when he could run at Santa Anita going a mile and a quarter, which you would think is more up his alley. You mentioned he's probably best going 12 furlongs, but 10 is definitely in his wheelhouse. And, boy, that looks like he would have been one to nine in that field. This field here, he'll probably still be three to five. But at the end of the day, a mile and an eighth on a track that he's never set foot on, I think that could get a little bit on the dicey side. I'm not suggesting he's vulnerable. But at the same time, do I really want to be, you know, singling him straight away? I think a horse like Luke Sally, who's proven that he can run down there in South Florida and he'll get the jump on him, I'll take a little shot with him. Well, again, yes, uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm sure the pizza man uh, will go off the favorite, but uh, you just like you, you, you just never know. Uh, hopefully, the weather will be good, and this race will get in, you know, on the turf. So uh, it's going to be very interesting. But <laughs> I look for Shining Copper to be showing his heels to the field at least for the first uh, mile or so in here. It's going to be a very interesting race uh, to watch, but. Uh, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't think the Ramseys entered him to uh, be a rabbit for takeover target. So uh, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. Well, let, let's go out to the West Coast right now. And uh, let's, go to, let's go to the three-year-old race, if we can. We're talking with Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. And I imagine, Matt, we can probably see you on DRF uh, live over the weekend. Yeah, we'll be kicking off coverage at 3 o'clock. Dan Elman and Mike Beer will bring us in, and we'll make the transition about midway once we switch over to the West Coast. We'll be good to go. We've got a full day. Obviously, you mentioned a great racing all day on Saturday, coast to coast. Now, well, what, is, what is your personal schedule like on a Saturday on DRF Live? Normally, I'll hop in right around 5 o'clock when we really transition into the meat of the Santa Anita card, or if we have any other races from the fairgrounds or Oakland, anything like that, but... Normally, we've kind of got it divvied up where I'll take the West Coast and Mike will take the East Coast and Dan will be the, the ringleader as he, he's the only one that can really manage everything as well as he does. So he kind of <laughs> drives the ship and, and Mike and I kind of swap in and out. And he does do a great job. I love, I love watching you guys. Well, um, okay, the, the fourth race at, at Santa Anita, again, if you go to Jay Hobday's column, he, he broke it all down, where you got to go and when you got to be there. You guys are going to be busy guys on Saturday. Uh, but we're going to mile on the 16th. It, it's the Robert B. Lewis, a grade three. But this is a stepping stone race for the West Coast horses to announce that uh, they're maybe looking to the Santa Anita Derby. Now, it looking 
looking at this race, it, it seems like most probably more spirit rises to the top. But uh, Matt Bernier, as you handicap this race, there's an interesting angle in here. Is how do you factor in dressed in Hermes and Path of David, um, two three-year-olds that have been successful but on the grass and are now switching to the main track? It's, it's very difficult. And we've seen over the past handful of years when, when trainers and connections get a good turf horse at this time of year, they, all, they feel obligated, and I can understand why to see if, if their horses can run on the dirt at all. And I'm not going to argue with the connections of Dresden Aramay or Path of David. I think they're both very good turf horses. I'm reluctant to say that either one of them is going to take to the dirt and be able to run with the best three-year-olds that the West Coast has to offer. But at the same time, again, I, I couldn't fault them for giving it a shot. Of the two, Dresden Aramay may be the one that's a little bit more battle-hardened. But if I had to pick one, I think Path of David is, it could be a star on the turf. It reminds me a lot of Bolo from last year. We saw him on the Triple Crown Trail for a minute where, you know, it appeared as though he could have been an absolute standout turf kind of horse, and they, they wanted to try the dirt, and he handled it pretty well. Just unfortunately for him, he ran into some monsters, whether it was Dortmund or American Pharaoh. I think, again, I, I can understand why they're trying it. I think Passive David is the one for me that I would prefer of the two, but having said that, I, I think they both have a bit of a tall task at in order. Now, uh, it, it looks to me, as, as I alluded to, that uh, more spirit uh, definitely will probably end up going off the favorite in here. Be, uh, as a matter of fact, I watched his damn win, a two-year-old stakes race, and uh, that was about a decade ago. So I go back a ways with this horse. Uh, I'm a Dixie girl on the bassinet stakes at River Downs with uh, a Mr. Martinez aboard. Um, horse that looks like it might have some upside here is, is Uncle Lino. Let's face it, the Uncle Mo's are, are running great. Is he one of the top threats to more spirit, or do we go to the Bob Baffert barn and look at the, the sham runner-up, let's meet in Rio? You know, i, I got to be honest. I, me, personally, I'm leaning toward let's meet in Rio. We'll touch on him in a minute. But Uncle Lino is a fascinating runner because you draw a line through his debut in the slop at Del Mar. He hasn't done anything wrong from a speed figure standpoint, he actually stacks up pretty pretty competitively in this field. My biggest thing is he's very green. He's still a little bit goofy out there on the racetrack. You go back and watch him. He was very late with his lead change in his most recent start. But I, I think he's got some serious ability. I just question going two turns against this kind of competition. Maybe he's going to need another start or two. As far as let's meet in Rio is concerned, I, I, an angle that I always look for is paired up buyer tops. And this horse has paired up 79 buyers in each of his past two first two starts going two turns and really when you look at the way that he runs he's also green he's figuring some things out he gives off the impression that distance is not going to be an issue for him we've seen flatter is hit or miss as far as distance is concerned last year we saw upstart he was a little bit distance challenged you know he probably ideal around eight or eight and a half but we've seen a horse like flat out who's by flatter he was a multiple jockey club gold cup winner going a mile and a quarter so you can kind of get it's a mixed bag there i think let's meet in real he gives off the impression Distance is his friend. He's just going to need to grow up a little bit. I think you're going to see a forward move on Saturday. May not be enough to upset more spirit, but I think he's going to be an interesting one going forward. Now, uh, do you agree that the more spirit is the uh, colt to beat in here, or should I say Ridgeling to beat? i got to be honest. He just looks bulletproof as far as what he's done thus far. He has the most complete resume. He's professional when he goes out there. He's definitely the horse to beat. I know a lot of people are very intrigued with the two. I will score. 
Hollendorfer and Smith. We talked about that tandem earlier with Songbird. And look, this horse is wickedly fast. That last race, the fractions are, are not a, a mistake. 21 flat, 43 and 1. The thing is, I don't know how far he's ultimately going to want to go. You look at the pedigree, you would assume this is going to be okay. But I think if nothing else, they're going to find out. They'll go out to the front, wing it for as long as he can. If he ends up wilting a little bit, at least the connections know. They've got a crack sprinter on their hands, and they can turn him back. But I agree. I think more spirit. They're all going to have to beat him if they're going to win. Okay, and uh, the thing is, too, he's had that experience shipping uh, to uh, Kentucky from San Anita. Uh, put in a very respectful second-place finish behind, behind Aero Force. Uh, so uh, I got a feeling they're looking down the road to being there the first Saturday in May. Well, uh, following uh, that on the card at, uh, at San Anita, we're going to have the, the San Antonio, and uh, this brought together a, a pretty classy group, shall I say. And all I can say is I was really impressed with the way that Opportunity finished up in the San Pasquale against uh, California Chrome and Imperative that he's going to meet in here. I thought he was really flying and, and looked great in the uh, San Pasquale. Uh, who, who do you like in here? The San Antonio grade two. We're going a mile and an eighth at Santa Anita. Yeah, I, you know, at the eight-horse field, three of these are my all-time favorites. I love Opportunity, always have. I love Cyrus Alexander, and I love Cat Burglar. Uh, from a race shape standpoint, opportunity starts to concern me a little bit. He likes to settle for second and third. He does run on. He's going to try each and every time. I just question overall. I don't know how good he truly is. I think this is kind of what he is, a notch below maybe the best. There's not a ton of speed signed on in this race, and I understand maybe Cap Burglar is a little bit outclassed overall, but he should get a tactical advantage. I thought he was very good last time out when he broke his, when he, uh, he didn't break his maiden, but his first start off that little bit of a layoff. We hadn't seen him since summer at Del Mar. I think he moves forward second off the bench for Baffert here. The other one, the X factor in this race is really the two Donworth. And you can make the argument the race goes through Donworth because he showed a ton of talent as a three-year-old. Doug O'Neill, Paul Redham, they paid $550,000 for this horse, private purchase. Or he went through the sales ring, I believe. And then this is going to be his first start since June when they saw him at Delaware Park when he set a track record one by 11. He's shown he's got ability. He should be forwardly placed Nine furlongs off the bench is no no easy matter, but, boy, if he moves forward as a four-year-old, this race kind of screams out, we want a fresh face. Maybe he's the fresh face that can take this field. Well, I love it. We're listening uh, to Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Foreman. Now, there's information you don't get anywhere but here. I did not know this was a $550,000 private purchase. Yeah, I, I, again, and don't, it's either private or he went through the sales ring for five fifty. But one of the two, I can take a look again tomorrow and tweet that out. But he was a purchase from Radham, or Redham purchased him. He was a homebred at first. But this is a horse who, again, you go back and you look at him as a three-year-old. You can make excuses for his two losses. I thought the ride that he got in the Lexington was a little bit suspect. That Sir Barton, when he ran down a Pimlico on, on Preakness Day, inside and speed was dominant. He was not near either one of those, the front or the inside. And then he ran off and rolled, ran a hole in the wind in that stand down at Delaware. We haven't seen him since. I think he's got a world of ability. He's got a ton of upside. Again, this is, looks like the kind of field that is just wanting a new face to show up and take over. Maybe he's the one. Okay. Well, Matt, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us. I get a lot of feedback from our listeners that you're one of their favorite handicappers. And, again, I want to tell everybody they just need to go to DRF.com, and they'll get to spend a part of their Saturday afternoon with you. Absolutely. We look forward to it. 3 Eastern, DRF.com. 
All right, thanks a million. Again, want to thank Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum and Doug Brader and wish him and Florent Giroux nothing but the best. That closes out another show here. Don't forget to pull down our easy win forms on winningponies.com. I'm John Engelhart, overlooking the manicured turf course across the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. Remember, everybody, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.